Why, hello there, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm so thankful that you're here again, and I'm really looking forward to a great conversation today with Brother Bob Cunningham from Shreveport, Louisiana. Bob was in town holding a gospel meeting, and I finally got a hold of him. It took a long time, but he agreed to come into studio and talk with me for a little bit. And what's interesting about today's conversation is we don't have any sermon notes. Uh, I wanted to talk to Bob about personal evangelism. It's something we're both passionate about, so I just had some questions, and we had a nice, about hour-long conversation on a topic that we both love dearly. I really think you're going to like it. It's a great conversation. So let's jump right into it, shall we? All right, brother. Well, thank you very much for joining me in my studio today. I'm kind of poaching you from the congregation where you're holding your gospel meeting this weekend at Red Oak, but I'm thankful for getting that opportunity to have lunch with you and for you joining me in studio. Well, it's um, it's a privilege, really, Jonathan. I, I really have admired your work for a long time, and uh, I think we started last year. You invited me over to do a podcast, and it's been a while. It's been a while, <laughs> and uh, I begged off a couple of times, but um, I'm just excited to be here. I want to learn myself about podcasting, and so I think you're about the best around that I know of. So I'm I'm here. Well, thank you. It's a, it's a compliment, indeed. Now uh, I wanted to talk with you about just a, a topic. You know, a lot of times guys bring in sermons. We have Bible studies that are kind of planned out, but really there's a topic that you and I, we've talked about in the past. Um, I know we've talked after a preacher study about some of the points that we're going to bring up here as well. But we're both very passionate about personal evangelism and making our faith a shareable faith one-on-one. So uh, there's going to be maybe some questions I'll ask you about the process and some questions about concerns that people have so we might be not following a an outline like a sermon but i hope that this will be helpful for our listeners who want to improve in their personal evangelism i thought it would be good if we might um, start with the bible verse and i think one of the the best is jesus commission matthew 28 verse 18 jesus said all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That particular verse is one that we put on all of our uh, material, T-shirts, caps, (laughs) uh, and we use it as a theme. Uh And uh, the King James Version uses teach twice in it and I think that probably has um, confused some people now the version that you just quoted make disciples uh, that's really what that first teach means Oh, okay. make disciples is two different Greek words Uh, the second teach uh, really means instruction Mm -hmm. so really that commission says, first of all, you, you make disciples. In other words, uh, when you baptize an individual, or they become a Christian. Right. They become a disciple. But then the second part of that process is the teaching. Mm-hmm. And uh, quite frankly, I think if, 
there's a part that we probably need some help in or to focus a little bit more on, I think it's the teaching part, the follow through. I call it follow through because many times when we baptize people, um, sometimes we think that, oh, wow, you know, that's, that's it. You know, we've done it. Right. But then it's at that point, I think that the real instruction should begin right. when sometimes we move on to the next person. So, uh, that that's kind of my take on that. I like that. So, the command is to make disciples. It's twofold, baptize and teach. And when I think of teach, um, makes me think of equipping, you know, equipping others for success. And like you, I have seen those that they come out of the water and they get a slap on the back and it's like, okay, you've got it. Go on. <laughs> yes. Uh, I think, I think that's the part where, uh, it's so challenging to people because some people don't feel equipped to, sure. you know, to really take that instruction to the next level. But, and I think that's something that, um, we try to focus on, uh, at our congregation. Um, I guess since I was a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, all my, my career, most of my career. So I guess that, that kind of follows, you know, kind of naturally for me to sure. make sure people understand, you know, what they've gotten themselves into. Well, I have written down the question, how can we equip? And we may come back to it if we have time. But mm-hmm. I'm gonna go ahead and give it to you to, to be thinking on. But let's back up in the process. You know, let's talk about making disciples and uh, people who might be struggling with personal evangelism. What's the, we, we use that phrase, you know, personal evangelism. What's the difference between personal evangelism and then just evangelism, whenever people talk about maybe the evangelist who's going to go out and preach. Is there, are we saying two different things, or is it really the same thing? Well, um, the way I look at that is I think all evangelism is personal. Mm, okay. I think, I believe all evangelism is personal, whether you are an evangelist or whether you are just a personal worker. Mm-hmm. I think, I, but I think the personal element in evangelism has changed because of technology. I believe that Jesus's approach to evangelism was personal. Right. There's no question about that. We can see many examples, but I think what has happened is that over time, uh, the personal element as we traditionally have understood personal, uh, has changed, but yet we, uh, have not really, uh, embraced those changes to the extent that we need to make it uh, still make it personal, mm-hmm. but personal has been redefined by technology. Sure. And and I think that what has happened, we're slow to, um, we don't want to lose the personal element of it, the personal, personal element, but I think that our thinking has not really embraced the new definition, quote-unquote, of personal. Mm-hmm. But I believe all, all evangelism has to be personal because it's a personal decision that you're encouraging people to make. What about uh, somebody who might say, well, I'll just let the preacher preach a sermon and that's how we're going to evangelize. What would you say to encourage that mindset? Well, if a person says that, I think that um, I would encourage them to uh, rethink uh, the role of the evangelist. Okay. Uh, the role of the evangelist, in my mind, uh, certainly there are some very specific roles in the Bible that the evangelist sure. has, proclaiming. Uh, send things in order, so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But I think what has happened is that we've become a little bit more 
Christianity, and this is getting to a little bit different area, but Christianity, I think, over time has become a spectator sport. Mm. It's yeah. a spectator sport, and things that we kind of look at other religious groups like they do, uh, we, but we particularly have kind of done the same thing in maybe a different way. We become spectators, right. and our expectation is for the evangelist, quote, preacher, whatever, to do all of the work. So I think a mindset change yes, needs sir. to happen. Yeah, That's what I think. Uh, I think people are just following you know, the cultural constructs that they've kind of grown up in. Uh, well, you know, the preacher didn't come see me at the hospital or, or they didn't, <laughs> you know, they didn't go see brother sure. so-and-so. When they, you know. So I think we're fighting that. But I do see uh, a different approach to that emerging yeah. in people like you. Well, uh, I was just having a conversation <laughs> with my wife last week. I think it was last week. And I'm going to use a word. You haven't said it yet, but I think this is where you're going with that. So maybe help me if I'm on the right track or not. But I was complaining um, about how a lot of my work seems to be more pastoral than Evan, uh, evangelistic and so I don't intend to step on people's toes with the comments that I'm making but if it does do it I hope maybe it's the word that does the stepping and not me but uh, the pastor in the denominational setting that he's kind of the do everything man he's the preacher he's the elder he's the deacon he does it all and we don't have a pastor. You know, we're really quick to say, oh, well, we don't have pastors. But it is worth looking at. Did, are our preachers doing more than preaching? Are they are they also being our shepherds? Are they also being our official deacons and stuff? You know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, that is that is where I was going. Okay, I figured we were going to get there <laughs> sooner or later. But, but I really believe that, that we suffer from that type of, of uh, mentality. You call it and spectator. I, yeah, mentality. yeah. I, that's why I call it, I think we've become more of a, a spectator type uh, congregational attitude. Uh -huh. And and I think it's largely because uh, one reason is that's what we kind of see in the world. You know, I've even known people to start calling me a pastor because mm. that's what they hear. Mm -hmm. And I have to correct them and say, well, well, I understand what you're saying, but you know, that that really implies that I'm the do-everything man. Right. And people, you'll be surprised, Jonathan, how many people that have been in the church for many years, sure. they grew up in the church, they know the doctrine. Right. But they'll ask me, uh, like, have you been to see Brother So-and-so in the hospital? My response is always, well, have you been? <laughs> well, no, I haven't. But that shows that that pastor right. mentality is there, right. even though they may not say right. it uh have you checked on so-and-so -so? you know she had surgery my my response is always have you checked and then when you when you tell them that then they get a little bit offended because they say well you're supposed to do that so that's what we're fighting sure uh, jonathan and, sure. and i think you're absolutely right yeah. because people are not used to being workers mm. they're used to being spectators mm -hmm. and evaluating the preacher when he preaches whether it was good or bad Evaluating when people come to services and who's not there and who's right. there and so so we've turned it into more. Now this is just my view. Sure, turned it into more of a spectator type activity. Now you mentioned earlier uh, your home congregation. You've been working on the equipping 
And uh, so I guess my, my comment and question is, uh, here's the comment first. It really does make a difference when a congregation's working versus when they pay somebody to come in and work for them. I'm thankful. I feel like the group I work with is a, a group of workers, and so I, I have that backup. What makes a personal worker, you know, if they're not an evangelist, how, how can they start working towards that end? Well, um, I think the first criteria to be a, uh, an effective mm-hmm. personal worker is that you have to have a passion for man's souls. You have to have a passion for souls. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that love uh, of the person, regardless of their social, economic, racial, uh, sexual orientation, I'll throw that in. You have to see beyond right. those uh, constructs. Yeah. You have to see that. Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that's the first criteria. Because if you're just doing it because somebody's forcing you to do it or you feel obligated to do it, uh, the person that you're talking to is going to see that. Yeah. I think the passion has to be there and the love for souls, I, that has to be there fundamentally. And then secondly, you have to be committed to the work of personal work because it's very time consuming. It's a very labor intensive and um, there's a lot of sacrifices involved. So if you have some personal things that you're trying to work on apart from that, uh, you have to understand that personal work has to be the priority mm-hmm. uh, the kingdom really should be priority for all of us. But if you are really wanting to be a good personal worker, the kingdom has to be priority. Yeah. And if you have a young family, if you have a, a, a job that's demanding, you know, those are things that are real that you have to deal with. Yeah. So I would say a love for souls and commitment, you know, and commitment involves inconvenience. You know, sometimes it's not going to be convenient. Sure. If you commit to studying with a person, you have to put yourself at that person's time frame. It may be, mm-hmm. they may only be available at eight o'clock on Friday evenings. Right. So on date night. Exactly. <laughs> date night. So, so there's a lot of variables. I think that, uh-huh. that you really, uh, a good, uh, a person who's really serious about it, they got to consider those things. And uh, pro- probably the fourth thing is that if you're married, you, your spouse has to buy into it. Yes. You have to have a spouse that understands that sometimes they're going to be females, they're going to be males, sometimes they're not going to be married, sometimes they're not. You know, there's a lot of variables there. So the trust, the stability in the marriage, the understanding of the wife who knows that this is what you're committed to, uh, even vice versa. Uh, you know, the, uh, the female spouse may be committed to a study to it with another female. Yeah. So, Jonathan, there's a lot of variables there. But I would say fundamentally the the first thing that needs to be a first requirement that needs to be met is that you got to have a passion for souls. Mm-hmm. You got to see them in eternity. You got to yeah. really, you got to have an eternal view of things and not just this week or next week. Right. right. You know, a lot I could say in following up to that. Oh, <laughs> I, I get, you're, you're getting me worked up. I'm getting excited already. Um, committed to the work, the word sacrifice. I mean, you're li- you, we're supposed to present our bodies as a living, living sacrifice, sacrifice to the Lord. And this is one of those, those times when it, it reminds me of a question I heard one time. And somebody uh, was complaining and, and, and about what they had to give up, etc. And one of their patient brethren said, should a sacrifice cost you nothing? And you think about Old Testament sacrifice, and, and they, 
they were sacrificing something precious. It was giving its life. It was dear to them, you know, especially a shepherd who had raised this little lamb from birth or goat or whatever. They're, can a sacrifice cost you nothing? The point is, it shouldn't be costing you everything. Ultimately, our faith should. And here's one of the ways where you get to sacrifices, your time, your money. You know, you got to spend gas money to get into the study. Um, you're talking about a spouse who understands. I'll throw this out there for those who maybe maybe they don't feel like a personal worker, but they're, they're married to someone who is, or maybe uh, their best friend is someone who is. I feel like personal work is something I'm called to do. My wife does not. She's not naturally drawn to that discipline. But you know who, what she does to help me is she makes my home an open place. You know, the hospitality yes. gene. Is kind yes. of, it's, she's got it. She's got that. And so she's able to have coffee brewing, have a big tray of brownies, and we've got the, the work, uh, the, either the kitchen or the, the living room kind of cleaned up. And so when those people come in, they feel very comfortable, and she's made them feel comfortable. And so when I ask very you know, poignant questions, they're willing to answer them. And so there's a lot of talents that can go into personal work, even if you're not the one directly doing the Bible study. You know, that's a, I could... Man, we could talk about this for a long time. <laughs> but uh, you just described my wife. You met my wife a few times. She's uh -huh. very quiet. She's not a very outgoing person. But she does exactly the same thing uh -huh. that you say Marissa does. And that is she makes our home a welcome place for people. And they feel welcome, not so much because of me. I think it's because of her. Right. Because her warmness, her uh, hospitality, she's given to it, like the Bible says. And she's genuine and authentic. See, I think people fail to realize that even worldly people, if they're worldly or, or not, they can tell when hospitality is genuine. Mm -hmm. You can mm -hmm. tell. Uh, you know, the Bible even teaches us that before a person can even be an elder, they have to have a favorable report of those who are without. So there's a certain uh, conditioning that that God really knows that worldly people will see if, if, if we're genuine or not. Right. So, so I, I, I totally concur uh, Mary, you know, we've been married 44 years, and uh, I would just have to say uh, sometimes I can't, I'm not the warmest person, but she is, so I concur wholeheartedly. Yeah, they won't, they won't care how much we know until, thankfully, our wives show them how much we care. That's right. I know it's kind That's of a cheesy right. phrase that people oh, use, I, it's but true. it's true. It's true. It's <laughs> true. Um, let's talk about Let's talk about uh, Jesus analogies. I think maybe this kind of, we can transition into this point. But I've heard people say, Jesus wants us to be salt and light, salt and light, salt and light. Um, in regards to being a personal worker, with the idea of salt and light. Oh, hmm. um, interesting. Would you comment, if, you, <laughs> if you'd like to, you know, when Jesus says we're to be the light to the world or we're, you know, salt uh, of the earth, etc. Maybe our modern audiences don't appreciate what that is to what the ancient audience might, but how would okay. a personal worker as salt and light, you know? You know, that's an interesting uh, question, uh, Matthew 5, I think it is. Yes, sir. And um, uh, I'm going to give you my take on that, okay. you know, just because uh, uh, I've looked at that over the years and just kind of, you know, uh, developed my own little little view of it. See, in the Mediterranean world, 
salt had two functions. It, it was, uh, you know, since there wasn't a refrigeration there, you know, back in that day. Right. Okay. Uh, no refrigeration. So salt was used as a preservative. Uh-huh. And so uh, when Jesus made that illustration, and sometimes this goes to another issue. Sometimes um, there's a book that I found somewhere. Um, I forget the author, but it's called Seeing the Bible Through Mediterranean Eyes. Oh, and they um, talked about, uh, you know, this idea that, uh, well, salt, you know, was a preservative. And then at the same time, it was also uh, used for uh, seasoning, you know, sure. for flavor. So, so, so when Jesus used that illustration, of course, we can apply that um, as Christians who have been given the gospel. We our role is to preserve the gospel mm -hmm. in its purest form. Mm -hmm. We got to keep it pure because that's what that's what salt did. And then um, and then we say, you know, the other part of that, Jesus said, if the salt has lost its savor or flavor, yeah, why is it good for it's you? good for nothing. So um, I like to think that Christians, we add a, a seasoning flavor Sure. To the world, uh -huh. uh, pure the pure gospel yeah. is uh, adds the positiveness of the gospel uh, flavor, if you will, yeah. to the world, and and if we don't do that, then guess what's happened? Guess what happens to the world? Well, the gospel is not preserved. It begins to be good for nothing and to be trampled on the foot of man, and uh, so that's my kind of. Uh, you know, take on that. I I like it a lot. I uh, you know, some people might turn to, oh, is it Ephesians four, verse fifteen about speaking the truth in love? But I wanted to to take that concept of preservation plus flavor or mm. seasoning, mm. and it's in Titus chapter two. And uh, look at Titus two verse ten. It says, but not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that they will. Adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in every respect. You know that idea of adorning, right? Is is the flavor, the doctrines, the pre the preservation agent, but the way that we adorn it. I like you know we talk about adorning apparel, yeah. modest apparel, and the way that we present ourselves, but in our message, the way we adorn the, the gospel uh, has to be one where it is good news. You know, the gospel is good news. Amen. And so people got to know it's good news. Yes, they got to know. And we got to, uh, I think another thing, another aspect to that is, um, you know, we have to show the world, uh, people need to see our love for that gospel, the authenticity. Um, I go back to that a lot when I talk to people because, People are really good these days at really pretending and acting. Yes, they are. And you think they may be genuine, and sometimes you, you're kind of fooled by that. But, but, it, but when a person is truly living a life that they really want to adorn the uh -huh. gospel with their, that purity that, 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 that God has given them, you can see that. Yeah. You can see that. And there's power in that. It is. Well, we're going to cut it off right there, and even though it might be frustrating or disappointing, uh, I really want you to come back next week and hear the second part to this very exciting conversation about personal evangelism. Now, until then, you can go to the website 
And you can check out all the resources that are there to use absolutely free. And I'd love for you to like, subscribe, and follow on different platforms on social media. It's helpful for me. It's helpful for getting this word and this ministry out to others. So help me out and take some time today to do that. And until next week, this is Jonathan Edwards. Always remember, God loves you very much, and I do too. We're willing. See you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his real was in some trouble.